Hi, I'm Jeff Sickinga, Executive Director of the Ashbrook Center, and this is The American Idea, coming to you from Peter Schramm's library in Ashland, Ohio. I want to welcome everybody to this episode of The American Idea. Today we're going to be talking about a very important and controversial question in American history and government, Thomas Jefferson and the problem of race. It's a, an issue that was important at the time of the American founding, throughout American history, and remains today a very important topic when people today are considering Jefferson's legacy on slavery and race. To join me for this really important conversation today is Dr. Cara Rogers. Cara teaches history here at Ashland University, where she teaches courses on the Age of Enlightenment, American history from the colonial era, and of course, seminars on Thomas Jefferson. She also teaches for Ashbrook in our Teaching American History seminars and our Master of Arts in American History and Government. She is not only a teacher of Thomas Jefferson, but also a very profound scholar of Jefferson. She's published a recent article in the Journal of Southern History giving a reevaluation of Jefferson's comments on race and also in the Journal of American Political Thought on Thomas Jefferson's little-known but very important debate over slavery with a man named William Short, which took place between 1785 and 1826. And now she's currently working on a book that examines the ways in which Jefferson's book, Notes on the State of Virginia, influenced debates over race and slavery in American history. We're going to be talking about that book today, Notes on the State of Virginia, and on the profoundly important question of Thomas Jefferson, slavery, and race. Carl Rogers, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Let's start with this book, Notes on the State of Virginia. Some of our listeners probably didn't even know Thomas Jefferson ever published a book. Tell us a little bit about the notes. So Notes on the State of Virginia is a fascinating story. It's Thomas Jefferson's accidental book is how I like to think of it. All right. It actually started out in the Revolutionary War uh, when the French were helping Americans in our fight against the British. Uh, and the French knew very little about America, so they sent out a questionnaire. Uh, and Jefferson at the time was the governor of Virginia. So he received this questionnaire, and he's one of the only people to answer it, to answer all these questions about his state, from religion to animal sizes to geography to constitutional law. Um, and he published this book in 1787. It was widely read in Europe and in America in the late 1700s and early 1800s. Right away, one of the things that uh, attracted the most attention and controversy was what Jefferson said about race and racial differences. In fact, this book was so widely read that in 1829, uh, the free black abolitionist David Walker quoted extensively from Jefferson's notes in his own famous pamphlet um, called The Appeal to the Colored Citizens of the World. And in this uh, appeal, Walker said Jefferson's words had harmed black people and harmed the cause of abolition, that what Jefferson said about race deepened prejudice and, and therefore made emancipation harder. But we also know that in his book, Jefferson laid out a strong case for emancipation, and he helped influence many people become anti-slavery. For example, the Union Army General, Winfield Scott, wrote in his memoirs that when he was in college, he and all of his friends had read Jefferson's book and were so deeply impressed by Jefferson's anti-slavery views 
that they became supporters of freedom, of emancipation. So I would say that the book Notes on the State of Virginia is important for our understanding of Jefferson because it gives us an extensive look into his philosophies on a variety of topics. But it's really important for our understanding of race in America because Jefferson both reflected much of the popular thought about race at that time, and he also shaped how conversations about race in America happened for decades afterward. Hmm, that's a, that's a complex and very interesting story to develop. Take us back a little bit before his book Notes on the State of Virginia. As you said, that's from the 1780s. Talk about Jefferson's um, relationship with slavery prior to that time. So Jefferson was born in 1743, and at that point, slavery was legal just about everywhere in the world. That's one of the most important things to start with. Slavery was legal in Africa, it was practiced by Native Americans, it was practiced in Asia, in the Middle East, in Eastern Europe, in Russia. Only Western European nations had stopped enslaving one another, and even they were still involved in enslaving other people in their colonies. There was just a very small anti-slavery movement that had started mostly among Christian groups like the Quakers. So Jefferson grew up as a child in this situation where the only people of African descent he knew were enslaved, and that was just seen as normal. In fact, until after the Revolutionary War, it was illegal if you owned a slave in Virginia to free that slave. You had to get special permission from the governor. So the system of slavery was default for any person of color in Virginia. Mm. And not only was Jefferson surrounded by this system, at 14 years old, he became part of it when his father died and Jefferson inherited 52 people. And then when he got married, he inherited another 135 people. Uh, and the system kind of affected his life. For the rest of his life, he was uh, he, the owner of about as many as 200 different individuals. When he died in 1826, he only freed five of them in his will. And part of the reason for that is that Jefferson was legally unable to free more than five because the law in Virginia at the time that Jefferson died said people who were in debt were not allowed to free their human property. They had to pay off all of their creditors first. I see. And Jefferson died so deeply in debt, there was no way that he could free his slaves. Okay. So Thomas Jefferson grew up with slavery. He grew up in a slave society, mm -hmm. in a slave world to some degree, mm -hmm. the, the Atlantic world. Mm -hmm. He grew up with it deeply rooted in the soil of Virginia mm -hmm. and in the environment in which he was raised. How did he, um, prior to the notes on the state of Virginia, how did he react to the slavery that was around him? It's a great question. One of the first clues that we get about Jefferson's views on slavery come from when he was uh, a young college student. He took some notes in a journal where he talked about um, slavery being an ancient system that was hopefully going to fade away as human morality improved over time. And he was a college student? He was a college student at the College of William and Mary. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And studying with? A famous uh, America's first law professor, a man named George Wythe, okay. uh, along with a, a guy who was a part of the Scottish Enlightenment, William Small. Okay. So yeah. he's starting to think about the issue of slavery, and his, as you're saying, his view as a college student is, let's hope that this institution fades as human morality and decency and justice 
grow. That's right. Yeah, he was looking at the way that previous political theorists had discussed slavery and seen how previously prisoners of war were executed and then prisoners of war were made slaves. Jefferson said, well, one more progression in human morality and we won't even enslave prisoners of war anymore. So he was looking at slavery as a moral evil that needed to change. But we have more conclusive proof from his actions after college. So Jefferson, as a young lawyer, took on six freedom suits pro bono, which means for free. So he had uh, individuals who were either enslaved or stuck in indentured servitude, and he argued for their freedom. Using this uh, great sentence, he said, Under the law of nature, all men are born free, and everyone comes into the world with a right to his own person. As far as we know, Jefferson was unsuccessful in trying mm. to get these individuals freedom. But when he was elected to the Virginia legislature in 1769, he tried to introduce a bill that would make it legal for people in Virginia to free their own slaves. Again, unsuccessful. Uh, then he got the chance to write the Declaration of Independence. And at this point, Jefferson publicly opposed slavery. He specifically referred to black men, women, and children and called slavery a war against human nature and a violation of the most sacred rights of life and liberty. And although other congressmen cut out some of his strongest condemnations of slavery from the Declaration, they left in a sentence that Abraham Lincoln later referred to as an abstract truth applicable to all men and all times. Jefferson's belief that all men are created equal with a natural right to liberty. So that philosophical principle <clears throat> obviously had been kind of um, germinating in Jefferson's mind from his early life, his college studies, his early activities as a lawyer. Mm -hmm. He gets the chance to write the draft of the Declaration of Independence. As you say, he articulates this paragraph. It's a whole paragraph, right? Yeah. Uh, 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 saying one of the grievances against the king is that he has maintained the slave trade and thereby, thereby violated the, the, the natural rights of, of enslaved Africans. Mm -hmm. um, what about any legislative endeavors? Because you might say it's one thing for Jefferson to proclaim this. It's, it's another thing for him to take action in any public way on the, that principle. That's a great point. So two things that come to mind immediately uh, in 1784, so right as the revolution is, is coming to a close and the new uh, government is being set up, Jefferson was in charge of crafting a plan for governing all of the territories to the, to the western part of the, the country. Uh, and Jefferson wrote a law that would have abolished all slavery in American territories. Uh, essentially stopping the spread of slavery to the West and, and to new states. And unfortunately, this law failed by one vote. One guy called in sick that day. And mm. Jefferson remarked on this by saying um, that millions of souls yet unborn were, were kind of resting on that one person and heaven was silent in that awful moment. Um, so to him, this was a tragedy. Uh, and unfortunately, the, the law was changed later on. We now know it as the, the Northwest Ordinance of 1787, and it outlawed slavery, but only north of the Ohio River. So Jefferson's original vision was, let's end it, stop it from spreading it to any territory. Uh, and then later on, he wrote a constitution for Virginia. So another legal form that, that would have ended slavery in his draft constitution, slavery would have been abolished completely in the state. Um, but unfortunately, Virginia didn't choose his constitution. 
He did publish it, though. He included a draft of that constitution when he published Notes on the State of Virginia. So he made it very mm. clear to all of his contemporaries that he opposed slavery. And he, those were published in his own name, so everyone would have known Thomas Jefferson's publishing things that are attacking slavery and saying it should be abolished somehow. Yep, absolutely. Why was it so important for Jefferson to abolish... Some of our listeners would be thinking, why was it so important for Jefferson to abolish or prohibit slavery in the Western territories. When you say, well, but look, there's a slavery already in, in the Southern states and, and even some to some degree in Northern states like Pennsylvania and New York, which haven't totally abolished slavery yet by this time. Why is it so important to prohibit it from spreading in the West in Jefferson's mind? That's a great question. I think at the time that Jefferson wrote the Northwest Ordinance, he was incredibly optimistic that the tide was turning and that there was general agreement that slavery was a moral evil and that it was better for the nation to move away from slavery. So for him, step one was shutting down the slave trade, which is what he, he talks about very specifically in the Declaration of Independence. Step two is abolishing slavery where it already exists. Step three is stop it from spreading any further. So stop the demand for more enslaved laborers by, by shutting off the uh, accessibility of new land to slave owners. And I think that he saw that all as part of this grand plan to end slavery. And he really believed at the time of the end of the revolution that that's the direction America would go. What does he say then? If now, now we're up to really the point in the story, I guess, that we're at the notes on the state of Virginia. Yes. So you mentioned that these notes are in reply to questions from a French audience. That's right. And it's Jefferson filling out the questionnaire. And, and then he turns it into a book. And then, of course, <laughs> he loves his thoughts, and so he wants to publish them. But, and you mentioned that this, this book, uh, the questions are very wide-ranging. They're about climate, they're about geography, they're about religion. What is all of this that's in the new world, right? And they include, though, questions on the manners, as they were called in the 18th century, mm -hmm. the characteristics, the way of life of the people of these states, of the state of Virginia, and the laws of, of the state of Virginia. What does Jefferson say, for example, about the laws of the state of Virginia, and especially as they respect slavery? So Jefferson writes in the chapter about the laws of Virginia about this massive undertaking that happened during the Revolutionary War to revise the legal code, to get rid of all of those colonial artifacts and to bring the code up to date for a Republican state. Okay. And Jefferson and his law school mentor, George Wythe, uh, did most of the work to revise this legal code. And so Jefferson talks about revising the code and kind of updating the laws on slavery. And then he mentions that he and his mentor had, had written an amendment, an emancipation amendment, that they would, once the legislature had dealt with all of the other laws, they'd bring up this amendment and say, well, here's what we actually think should happen to slavery in Virginia. And in the emancipation amendment, Jefferson outlines this plan that he had um, for ending slavery and dealing with the problems of, of racism in, in Virginia. So he has a very specific uh, plan, a very specific outline that he thinks will appeal to white Virginian slaveholders, the people who have all of the power in the state. And his plan is, number one, don't free everybody immediately, so that would destroy the economy of the state. Step number one is free newborn infants born on a particular day. So choose January 1st, 1800. Every baby born after that day will be free. Okay. Then allow those infants to remain with their parents for a certain number of years. And while they're living with their parents, the government would 
somehow raise taxes uh, in order to pay for the education of these freed uh, slave children and train them in whatever they were skilled in, Jefferson says. And then at a certain age when they'd reached adulthood, the government would pay for all of these people to be colonized, to be sent to another destination. And then Jefferson said the government should, here's a quote, send them out with arms, implements of household and of the handicraft arts, seeds, pairs of useful domestic animals, etc., to declare them a free and independent people and extend to them our alliance and protection till they have acquired strength. And it almost seems to me, looking back, as though this is a plan that does two things. On the one hand, it deals with the problem of slaveholders who don't want to lose their finances by freeing newborn infants only. But secondly, it's a form of reparations for slavery. Because Jefferson isn't talking about freeing a generation and abandoning them. He's talking about a massive government project to raise taxes to pay for education, training, supplies, mm. and then setting up a new separate country somewhere else where there would be a free and independent black republic for the first time. Interesting. So emancipation and colonization with the means to provide for a new society. It almost reminds me of that phrase from the Civil War era, 40 acres and a mule. Yes. Right? That, that you, it's not enough to just be free. One has to have the capacity to govern oneself, yeah. flourish economically, socially, and politically, and all the rest. Yeah. Um, why not emancipate and keep the emancipated people in the state of Virginia? That's the million-dollar question. And Jefferson immediately asked that question as soon as he had laid out this plan. He said, well, why not retain and incorporate the blacks into the state and thus save the expense of supplying, by importation of white settlers, the vacancies they will leave? He recognizes he's creating a massive hole in Virginian society if he sends away this huge group of people. Right. And it'll be expensive to replace. And he answers... He doesn't think that white and black people would be able to live successfully together in the same state. For these reasons, here's how he puts it, deep-rooted prejudices entertained by the whites, 10,000 recollections by the blacks of the injuries they have sustained, new provocations, the real distinctions which nature has made, and many other circumstances which will divide us into parties and produce convulsions which will probably never end but in the extermination of the one or the other race. So it's very important at this moment in time to remark that Jefferson is writing this during the American Revolution. At that time, Virginians had just experienced the reality of having enslaved people rise up and fight against them. So in the early years of the war, the governor of Virginia, um, a British governor, Dunmore, issued a proclamation saying any slave who ran away from their master to join the British would receive freedom. George Washington had slaves who ran away uh, mm. to join the British. Jefferson lost a lot of slaves that ran to join the British and that actually would then fight against the American army. And Virginians were really shaken up by this, this reminder that they had a domestic enemy. They had a group of people living among them who had no reason to remain loyal or to fight for America uh, and that could, in fact, at any moment rise up and kill their own, their masters, their white en enslavers. Uh, and so Jefferson, when he describes here that there's 
reason to suspect that white and black will not be able to live together, but that there could be a race war and an extermination of one or the other race. That's the context in which he's writing. He's dealing with this general fear, and he's giving a solution that he thinks will overcome the fear. You can free your, your enslaved people and not have to worry about a war because we can colonize these people and, and in that way do justice to them, but preserve safety for ourselves. That's, right. that's Jefferson's mindset here. And at least one of the parties, as you, as you read, he, he, does not, sim he does not simply say, well, freed enslaved people won't be able to manage themselves in society. He also seems to place a lot of blame on the prejudice of white Virginians. He does. Deep-rooted prejudices entertained by the whites. It's an interesting moment of um, self-awareness that Jefferson addresses here. Do you know any students with an interest in American history, politics, economics, and literature? Do they enjoy being academically challenged and the thrill of engaging with different ideas and viewpoints? Hi, I'm Sabrina Maristella, Student Programs Coordinator here at the Ashbrook Center. The Ashbrook Academy is a series of summer courses for rising high school juniors and seniors. Held in person at Ashland University, the Academy immerses you in the American story like you've never been before. Since 2015, our approach has taken history out of textbooks and into students' lives with historical documents and conversations about those documents. If you are a rising high school junior or senior, or if you know someone who is, we invite you to learn more about our courses and apply today at ashbrookacademy.org. Now, aside from those political and social concerns, he mentions, as you read, uh, physical and aesthetic differences, that it would make it difficult for whites and blacks to live together in, in, a st in the state of Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, those are some troubling lines, yeah. one might think, and certainly uh, if folks were reading that today, they would be um, deeply troubled by Jefferson's remarks. Absolutely. Why, what does he mean by that, and why does he focus on the physiological differences? Yeah. Yeah, you're so right. This is a really difficult section to deal with today. And even in the 1780s, there were people who read this and disagreed with it and, and said that Jefferson had, had been too harsh in the way mm. that he discussed race. But when we read these comments, it is helpful to know something about the history of race science in general. So for much of recorded history, uh, humans have talked about the differences between groups of people in terms of climate. So Aristotle, for example, said that the Greeks were the best, essentially because they lived in between two more extreme climates, hot and cold. Mm. Medieval Islamic scholars wrote about Europeans who lived north of them and said, well, those people, they're kind of sickly and pale and they have lank reddish hair and they're dull and they're stupid because of the cold climate. But in the Age of Enlightenment, where Jefferson lived, scientists were trying to prove hypotheses with experimentation. And at this point, some new theories about human differences emerged. French scholars, in particular, were really interested in this. They started dissecting human bodies to figure out why some skin was darker than others. Really? Starting in 1618. Wow. Uh, and over the course of the 17th and 18th centuries, new theories about human differences emerged, and people started to speculate perhaps skin color is different not because of climate, but because of blood. And unfortunately, at the same time, the African slave trade was becoming more and more important to the European economy. And the people who were on the ground doing research in Africa, dealing with uh, African peoples, were often the same people 
who were invested in the slave trade. Ah. So the ones who are supplying information to the scientists have a financial motivation for seeing inferiority when they look at African peoples. So we see racism and race science develop hand in hand, and difference became equated with inferiority. So here comes Jefferson with his book about Virginia, and he was very involved in the scientific community of that time. He had read all of these French scientists. He wanted them to read his book. So he discussed African people in terms of their race in much the same way that other scientists of the day were doing. And he discussed all the ways in which he believed the black race was different to and inferior to the white race. But here's where the story gets interesting. So in the process of editing this book, Jefferson sent uh, it off to one of his friends from the Continental Congress, a man named Charles Thompson. And Thompson read this section and wrote back to Jefferson and said, you know, I love what you've done, agree with what you say, but some people might read what you've written about the black race and use it as a justification for slavery. Hmm. And for that reason, I would cut the whole thing out. So Jefferson gets this advice from Charles Thompson, and he doesn't fully take it, which is maybe his greatest mistake, one of his greatest mistakes as a writer. But he does edit it in very significant ways. He makes a couple of significant changes. So for example, he added ways that he thought that the black race was equal or superior to the white race, and he focused on morality. So he said, uh, here I'm quoting, we find among them, uh, enslaved people, numerous instances of the most rigid integrity, and as many as among their better instructed masters of benevolence, gratitude, unshaken fidelity. And he changed some of his conclusions so that instead of saying with absolute certainty that the white race was better, he changed it to a suspicion only, something that needed further scientific study to, to really determine. And he also doubled the length of a chapter in his book called Manners, which is actually all about slavery. Hmm. Let, let's talk about that chapter, right? So now he's addressed this in this chapter on laws and what he thinks the plan should be for gradual emancipation and colonization, and he's given his arguments for why. Mm -hmm. Then he has this discussion of manners, and the question is, what are the manners of the state of Virginia? And as you said, he talks a lot in that chapter uh, about the not just the injustice of slavery, but the effect that slavery has on everyone in the state yeah. and on what 18th century people called manners. What's Jefferson say about the effect of slavery on the people in the state of Virginia? Jefferson has a stern warning, I think, for Virginians who are reading his book. He says, and I'm going to quote him here, there must doubtless be an unhappy influence on the manners of our people produced by the existence of slavery among us. And that's because, as he says, the whole commerce between master and slave is a perpetual exercise of the most boisterous passions, the most unremitting despotism on the one part and degrading submissions on the other. Our children see this and they learn to imitate it. And he goes on to talk about all the ways in which children are corrupted when they live around slavery, that they observe their parents acting in tyrannical ways, beating slaves, ordering people around, and the children learn to become tyrants. Jefferson mm. says they are nursed, educated, and daily exercised in tyranny, which is not what you want if you've just created a Republican government for, right. your, for the first right, time. Right, exactly. <laughs> so slavery in some ways, is he actually arguing then that of course slavery is terrible for the enslaved? Is it also bad for the enslaver? 
I think that's exactly what he's saying, and that point is controversial. Why doesn't Jefferson focus more on the suffering of the enslaved? Why does he talk in this chapter about how white people are suffering? And I think the answer maybe lies in his audience. He knew that he was writing a book that many, many Virginians would read, and he's presenting his best case to them about why it's in their own self-interest to end this practice of slavery. And he, like other founders, believed that a republic only works if its citizens are moral. So he talks about if a statesman in Virginia allowed half of the citizens to trample on the rights of the other half, you're going to destroy morality and you're going to destroy patriotism because there's no way that the enslaved people are going to be able to love their country and be patriotic if they're being so badly treated. And then he says, if slavery is allowed to continue, white Virginians are actually laying the groundwork to destroy their own liberty, either themselves or through divine interference. He says, can the liberties of a nation be thought secure when we have removed their only firm basis, a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are the gift of God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath? In the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson expressed this belief that God created men equal and that our natural rights come from that equal creation. So if you infringe on another person's divinely given right, Jefferson here suggests that you are inviting divine wrath. Mm. And he goes on to predict that God will punish white people, that there will be a revolution, and that if there is a revolution, the Almighty has no attribute which can take sides with us, with white people, in such a contest. So it's, as you said, a stern warning to white Virginians about the injustice of their action and the eventual, the time will come when they'll have to pay for it. One way or another, slavery is going to end. Jefferson is worried it will end with violence. And if it does, God is not going to help the enslavers. And in the meantime, it's going to corrupt the the character of people in the state. And of course, he's worried about the, the, the flourishing of his own state, thinking states to the north, for example, are freeing slaves or will be freeing slaves. They may end up being more successful, freer and more prosperous than us who are still wedded to slavery. That's a great point. Yeah. And that's exactly what ended up happening yeah. in, in many ways. Yeah. Um, did Jefferson ever change his mind on the issue of the need for racial separation? You mentioned he talked about in Query 14, emancipation, but then colonization, separating the races because he doesn't think they'll be able to get along. Did he ever change his mind on that or any of the views that he expressed here in the notes on the state of Virginia? Mm-hmm. So, yes and no. Officially... That seems to be the answer for a lot of things with Thomas Jefferson. I know, right? (laughs) Such a paradox. Officially, in letters, he continued to refer to his plan for emancipation and colonization as the best possible scenario. All the way through 1826, the year that he died, he's still saying, I really think the best plan is freedom and separation. But privately, Jefferson considered alternative plans several times. So, for example, when he lived in Europe, uh, Jefferson was the ambassador to, to France for a while. And while he was there, he designed a plan to transition enslaved people in Virginia to freedom. And his idea was he would divide up his estate into 
10 acres plots, and then he would set up enslaved families alongside white families. He thought he would import people from Germany who would be willing to do this experiment. So he'd put white and black together and let their children grow up in the habits of freedom together, as he put it, and work together to farm the land and rent the land from Jefferson, and then they could keep uh, part of the profits. Hmm. And in this way, he would train people and transition them from this life of slavery to a life of being a tenant farmer. And he speculated that if he could prove that um, tenant farming was more profitable than keeping slaves, his fellow Virginian farmers would perhaps become more willing to free their slaves. And, and Jefferson in these letters doesn't talk about colonization. He seems to be considering a biracial or a multiracial future for Virginia. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So, uh, did he ever act on that project? There are some really interesting purchases of land that Jefferson made with a, a young man called William Short that was like a son to him. Jefferson bought Short land and they discussed setting up a tenant farming plan. Uh, it never actually came to fruition uh, for, for a variety of different reasons. Hmm. Um, so Jefferson considers this, he plans for this, national politics essentially distracts him and takes him away from focusing intently on Virginia. I see. But what about some of the other remarks that he made in the notes on the state of Virginia about his suspicion, for example, about the p possible inferiority of, of Africans to Europeans? Jefferson addressed that a few different times over the years, um, particularly in correspondence with outsiders, people who were not from Virginia, um, who wrote to him and said, you know, do you really believe that? And one letter is particularly useful. In 1809, Jefferson wrote to a Frenchman about notes on the state of Virginia and what he'd said about race. And he said to this Frenchman, times are changing. I think that there are very hopeful signs that we are seeing of um, the capability of African Americans to improve. And then he added a caveat. Whatever be their, meaning black people's, degree of talent, it is no measure of their rights. Because Sir Isaac Newton was superior to others in understanding, he was not therefore lord of the person or property of others. In other words, this sums up Jefferson's view of all people. We're not all equally talented. We're not all geniuses like Sir Isaac Newton, no matter what our race. But in the most fundamental sense, we're all created equal, we all have certain natural rights, including the right to liberty and to self-government. And Jefferson was consistent on this throughout the time that he wrote the Declaration of Independence through the end of his life. He never wanted any possibility of racial differences to justify enslavement or, or political inferiority. Okay. And yet we would have critics today, here in, in the 21st century, saying... But Jefferson owned slaves. Yeah. He continued to own slaves, even after condemning slavery in the notes on the state of Virginia, even after proposing emancipation, even after attacking the corrosive effect that slavery has on the character of people, even after entertaining projects, as you mentioned, for um, tenant farming and, and f cultivation of freedom in those ways. Even after all of that, Jefferson continued to own slaves and that makes him, therefore, by definition, a racist. That's a very common argument that you hear today. Mm -hmm. What's your response to that? Of course he was a racist. Yeah, I think the definition of racism is 
prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against someone of a different race based on the belief that one's own race is superior. So based on that definition, yes, Jefferson was a racist. Uh, but he was a racist who believed in the fundamental equality and dignity of all people. And that makes our modern heads explode yeah, a little bit. Help us understand that. <laughs> help us understand Thomas Jefferson's own understanding of himself here. Yeah. Well, we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation the world into which Thomas Jefferson was born. Imagine living in a world where nobody questions slavery. Imagine living in a world where you inherit other human beings when you're 14 years old. It blows the mind. And the fact that Jefferson was willing to oftentimes risk his reputation by speaking out so strenuously against an institution that was so ingrained in the social fabric at the time, I think we, we underestimate or we forget because things have changed. Thank goodness, things have changed so much. We forget that at the time this was a risk and at the time this was a, a bold thing for Jefferson to argue, at least when he was among other Southerners who were slave owners. And as time went on during Jefferson's life, unfortunately, his optimism was not proven correct when it came to the South. Hmm. He envisioned a future where young people would be thriving in this atmosphere of liberty and of course they would want to give it to everybody. Universal equality and liberty would grow. And instead, by the end of his life, Jefferson was seeing around him a shift in morality for Virginians. By 1820, Jefferson said there was a new morality, or, or sorry, Jefferson's son-in-law said to him, there's a new morality in Virginia that tolerates the perpetuity of slavery, that slavery um, among Virginians was starting to be looked at as a moral good and something that should stay. So Jefferson had thought of it as an evil, maybe a necessary evil for the time being, but an evil that he hoped the state of Virginia would eventually get rid of, yeah. but he's dis deeply disappointed in that expectation because opinion in Virginia starts to change? Opinion starts to change. Slavery becomes in some ways more profitable throughout the South. Mm. The cotton gin is invented. Plantation slavery becomes more and more an ingrained part of the economy. Uh, and But I think the moral change is what disappointed Jefferson the most, that people became more willing to tolerate slavery instead of seeking ways to end the problem the way that he had been as a young man. Was he, to the end of his days, and he dies on July 4th, 1826, was he, to the end of his days, still, in principle, anti-slavery? Absolutely. In principle, anti-slavery, in principle, dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, in practice, he was deeply concerned. He was deeply concerned not only that people were tolerating slavery, but also that Americans were becoming more and more divided over slavery. For him, uh, the Missouri crisis, the, the, the Missouri Compromise line that was drawn was a sign, a very bad sign, that Americans would continue to argue over this issue. The problem would grow worse and worse. And, and he was again thinking that war would come uh, and that perhaps the Union would be dissolved. Over the rest of the course of the 19th century, mm -hmm. how, did peop how did Americans understand Thomas Jefferson and his views on slavery? That's a great question. Um, it depends on which people we're looking at. In 1831, uh, there was a slave uprising in Virginia uh, led by a man named Nat Tucker. Uh, sorry, Nat Turner. Uh, and in the aftermath of that rebellion, Thomas Jefferson's grandson actually proposed a gradual emancipation bill in the Virginian legislature. And they debated it openly for several days. 
This is the last time that Virginians would openly debate slavery. And some people said, you know, Jefferson never really thought that slavery could end. That was something that only, you know, Jefferson's generation could have achieved and they didn't. And Jefferson owned slaves and he never freed his slaves. So, so he must not have really believed that, that ending slavery was possible. And Jefferson's grandson stood up and he said, no, no, my grandfather really believed this. And he believed that our generation would be the ones to deal with this problem and needed to deal with this issue, this moral wrong. Uh, and Jefferson's grandson encouraged the Virginians around him to believe that Jefferson was consistently anti-slavery uh, over the course of his life. And some Virginians accepted that, and other Virginians and, and people deeper in the South scorned Jefferson. They read the Manners chapter in Notes on the State of Virginia, and they said, they, they totally disagreed that, that slavery was not the evil that Jefferson thought that it was. A lot of abolitionists read the Manners chapter and quoted it and used Jefferson's arguments to further the co mm. cause of anti-slavery. Uh, other people read the, the racism and, and, and criticized Jefferson quite rightly for it. So there's a variety of different ways in which Jefferson's words were appropriated, depending on how people were inclined. Some of them used his words as a weapon and said, look, this founding father agrees with us. Many Southerners completely rejected him and said, we cannot rely on Thomas Jefferson because of his support for, for emancipation. Hmm. Thomas Jefferson in the 19th century, a complex character. Always. As you said, a paradox. <laughs> Always. <laughs> in his own day, in subsequent American history, and to some extent, even still today. Yeah. But thank you for helping shed really important insight and light on this um, profoundly important American founder and his dedication to the American idea as an idea of equality and liberty, if imperfectly understood, if imperfectly realized, but hopefully one day fully realized. Yes, absolutely. And I think that would make him very happy to see how far we've come and to see how wrong he was. I think I like to believe that Jefferson would be very pleased to see the progress that Americans have made and the racial unity that we have achieved so far. Thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The American Idea, a production of the Ashbrook Center. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice. Subscribe for more at ashbrook.org slash AmericanIdeaPod and follow us on Twitter and Facebook at AMIdeaPodcast. From the Schramm Library in Ashland, Ohio, I'm Jeff Sickett.